back to the podcast boys lunch boys lunch we've had a day today had some visitors some yeah listeners maybe we had like six didn't we yeah quite a few people come in i guess it is thanksgiving break. do we give them shout outs get the whole week absolutely name them off you go maddie Scholl. yep john megan smith will you're not even giving last names oh ella haynes will john kiefer john kiefer drew hinderer we get them all? Yeah. Beautiful. It was a good crew to see. It was. I missed that class. In a sea of uh, apathy that we're dealing with with <laughs> yeah. our own students, it was nice to see some former students today kind of cheer us up. Yeah, last year's senior class, that was a, that was a fun class. Yeah, I mean, got, this uh, year's seniors too. Don't get me wrong. But I still love you guys. Yeah, uh, holidays are coming up finally. Thanksgiving's coming up. Advent's going to start on Sunday. So that's kind of exciting, giving people a fresh new thing to look for. My kids got a little worried today. My students, I should say. When I mentioned how close finals were to them, I don't think yes. they like it processed to them how fast it's going to come like after uh, Thanksgiving. So yeah, just two weeks and then finals week, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of how Christmas fell this year. So it's an early break, but we get to go back early in January. Woo! <laughs> the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. <laughs> Fully get to appreciate all of January in school. I'm excited for uh, just the first holidays in our new home though. Oh yeah, that's true. Making memories. Yeah, it's kind of cool to be able to like, I think it makes the home, the home feels more like home every day, but like when you start to make those types of memories, it becomes more like a, a connection to the place itself. So uh, listeners, if you remember, Joey put up his Christmas stuff in July. Is that correct? All right. <laughs> Shut it. Your tree's already up, isn't it? I actually, uh, because I just took that tree, one of our trees. Was it? We're Christmas people. Yeah. Uh, that was in my classroom for two months. I finally just took it home and instead of putting it downstairs, I kind of set it up. We did not light it yet. We have not put ornaments on it yet. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, how many of your Christmas nutcrackers are out? None of the nutcrackers. I did get some of the little village houses. Yeah, out there. I thought so. I, I love me some Christmas village houses. But you got enough stuff. It's a guilty kind of like take a little bit out at a time. Well, here's the thing. Kind of ramp up towards. Our tradition is normally like after Thanksgiving that Sunday, we'll do like a little lighting ceremony in our house. Oh. So. We're going to St. Louis. We're going to get back kind of later on Sunday. So I, I was just getting some things yeah. out so that Sunday we'll have, we don't have to do as much work. All right. So a little Sunday, a little uh, tradition of lighting. A little lighting ceremony. Right, well, Benedictine used to do that. When we would come back from Thanksgiving break, oh, they would yeah. light up a bunch of the buildings on campus. The Advent that lights. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Advent lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Advent lights. Um, we were always big day after Thanksgiving. Usually, I don't know what it was, but there's used to, Used to always be on the day after Thanksgiving, like a James Bond marathon on like one of the cable channels that we got. Nice. And so like, you've mentioned before, you guys yeah. are Bond heads. <laughs> and then, um, and then we yeah we put out the Christmas, and that was always something that my brother and my parents and I would always do. Yeah, so we do my family growing up, yeah. kind of normally that weekend after Thanksgiving. But anything else going on? Anything else going on? Um, <laughs> he's. If you can't see him right now, the man is dead inside. <laughs> Please cut this. That's what teaching will do to you. Um, no, it was a really good, uh, had a really good weekend uh, with the family. Got a lot done at the house. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, we didn't Did you have, have a good any... school week last week. Had a good school week last week for sure. And then <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I'm so lost. I don't even know where I'm at as far as in the school. Did I have, I give a test? No, I gave a test two weeks ago. I thought lessons went pretty well last week. 
Yeah. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to remember. It is kind of weird. Uh, the week just seems so far away. I don't know <laughs> really why. Does. But we had a great weekend. We got a lot done. And uh, we didn't have anything like pressing to do. Yeah. Like, typically, we've had like events or things to go to. That's what I felt like it was like for us, too. It's it like very kind of yeah, it was relaxing. Just kind of chilling. Played outside yesterday. It was like we put pretty much everything away the day before. And then, of course, it was nice enough yesterday afternoon. Oh, the, yeah. The girl's like, can, can we get outside? Like, sure, sure. We'll play out. I finally, yeah, I did some leaf stuff. My oh. mode. Kind of the last mow of the season because I hadn't really done it in a while and I needed to. Are you a mulched leaf? up some of the leaves? I was gonna say I was gonna ask if you're a leaf blower. We just inherited a leaf blower recently, and for me, raking just takes the same amount of time. That's what I I had a leaf blower, and I went out there. I'm like, this is actually just kind of hurting my hand, and it's not really doing much for me. So I ended up just raking. I did both. Now, if you're a person who swears by the leaf blower, now I get it. It serves its purposes. Love for blowing away the grass. Right. Um, after mowing or I've or seen like for snow removal. Lights. In your in your rock section, if there's leaves, get yeah. the leaves out onto the lawn. Yeah, yeah. So it serves its purpose. Yeah. But you got that person that's been holding down the button for an hour straight. That hurts. I mean, and just for me. I really like, have the back pain. If I'm like sitting out in the backyard and I hear, oh, yeah. for like an hour, please just get a rake. But yeah. I understand that there's people that can't rake or whatever. So. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get up on that he's soapbox. So, he's, you're so understanding. I'm anti-leaf blower. No, you're Even so understanding. You just said you're understanding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm charitable. Wow. So yeah, that happened. That happened. Uh, we do have an email. Uh, I mentioned this last week, and I forgot to talk about it. From Kevin Cook. So he's finally going through and listening to our episodes. We're on episode, what, like 45? Yeah. This is from probably like episode 12, 13. <laughs> uh, he said, new listener, first time caller. Still catching up on episodes and enjoying them. Wanted to provide a potential solution to Joey's drive-through straw wrapper addiction slash dilemma from episode 13. <laughs> Love it. Deep cut. That he called Tom Brady sucks and so does February. I don't remember that being the name of the uh, podcast. I think he's just going through something. <laughs> he said a couple years ago, I began keeping an empty 20 ounce bottle with a cap close to the driver's seat. To easily and quickly drop in gum wrappers, the boys post haircut sucker wrappers and sticks, gas receipts, straw paper, deflavored chewed gum, etc. Interesting. Lasts as long as you can still cram trash into it. <laughs> Hope this helps. Not bad. Does he just keep that under the driver's seat? I guess he just keeps it by. Interesting. I feel like I would. I wouldn't put it in there. I'd still just throw it <laughs> around the car. I just don't want that thing rolling around getting stuck under the accelerator. Because then it just becomes another piece of trash in my car. Because I know if I can see it, it's going to bother me. Did you say the accelerator? Yeah. Nice. Most people just kind of like gasp it over. I mean, <laughs> it is the accelerator. I know. But you just like, <laughs> then we hear people in like a casual conversation. The accelerator. So the stop button is what I call the brake. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anything else going on? I got nothing. Leave me alone. We just still have it today. Oh, what are you talking about? This is pure gold, the energy. The life has not been sucked out of us at all. We can push through to the end of the semester. Joey, slap me. There is hope in sight. Um, I think we're just like feeling the darkness getting ready for Advent. You know, and I think Advent's going to be a great season of light for us. Can't wait for the light. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving, yeah. <laughs> so, do we just transition into the topic already? Good luck editing this. I appreciate Jeez. you. <laughs> we are struggling. You know, I'm a simple man with simple needs. Okay. And I go by my whims. Absolutely. I'm a very sanguine in the moment type of person. Okay. And uh, Saturday morning, picked up a book that I had started probably a year and a half ago, and that I got 
15 pages into mm-hmm. and i got about 50 pages into it nice did i finish the book no will i probably uh but the first 50 pages moved me enough to be like you know what? this is what i want to talk about on monday all right let's do it isn't that nice it is nice thanks for the text message especially since i've read the book i know yeah it's okay i did you dirty you know what i still appreciate it it has some themes that I've been wanting to talk about, and I want to kind of bring some things. The book is called The Return of the Power of the Sun by Henry Nauman. He was a part of, I don't know how you pronounce it, the Larch, Le Arch community. Yes. Uh, so he was a professor at Harvard and then left that teaching position to go actually help out at a community that helps people with um, different special needs. Yep, developmental disabilities. Uh, de- developmental disabilities. So he kind of did kind of a cool thing to transition from teaching at Harvard with kind of the intellectual elite to people who more process the love and the feeling of, of the faith and of life and different things. Yeah. Um, so kind of a cool transition for him, but he he's, has a lot of books, but this one was specifically about his own journey with a painting. It was Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son, which when I first saw it in real life, not, I not seeing it in person. When I first saw the picture, it kind of, I thought it kind of sucked. <laughs> What's your an initial, entire book about this? Well, your initial impression, I'm holding up the painting to Paul right now. Mm-hmm. Your initial impression of the painting, were you moved by it at all? No, not the first time. Right? That's for sure. And I've seen it in places. I think Father Eric put it up in Epiphany. I'm assuming probably from this book. Yeah. Uh, having kind of experience of it. Uh, if you have never seen the painting, I would encourage you to pull it up because we're going to be talking about the painting today in the podcast. So if you've never seen Rembrandt's painting of The Return of the Prodigal Son, pull it up. Uh, because I think Nauman does a good job of actually making you care about it and makes it come to life in a way that I did not see on first glance. Yeah, I think when I read this book probably three or four years ago, I think it changed the whole way in which I look at art. I think the way in which he describes his his time spent in front of this and the depth that um, kind of the art and the background he gives of Rembrandt himself and like what his own personal life is and his own artwork. Cause he gives some different mm-hmm. kind of paintings throughout his life and you can kind of see it. Ref- it is reflective of his, almost his inner spiritual life or, or the it makes it come to life. Yeah. And so I, I mean, I think it's a wonderful book, especially if you're looking to kind of get into more or maybe see art with a different way yeah, or in a different way. The, uh, the whole painting is about the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15, a classic parable that we probably all heard before. If you remember, Luke 15 starts off with the tax collectors and the sinners sitting with Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers start muttering against him that he's eating with these people that are sinners, that are tax collectors, that are turds. And then he gives them a series of three parables. Bah, 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 bah. That was four. Ah, oh, jeez. No, we're going to have to edit out one of those. Bah. Do you remember the three parables? I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, lost coin. Lost coin. Prodigal son. Prodigal son's lost son. Uh, and it's a classic, man. Uh, light. Lost sheep. Ugh. So leaves the 99 to go get the lost sheep. The The lady finds her lost coin. They rejoice in this. And then God kind of ups this ante with this person that is now lost that is found by the father. I think it's one of those stories. And we were talking about this as an idea where we grew up hearing these Bible stories so much that we almost just got to a point where we're not phased by them. We're not moved by the way that Christ taught. I think our kids are starting to learn Bible stories. And it's interesting like to see them experience it for the first time. And be like, oh, that's like a lesson I'm learning, like a Daniel Tiger right. like show. And how Christ kind of like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to treat other people. Or that's how much the Father actually loves me. And I think we get to a point where we just learn it too much. Mm-hmm. 
and we just don't take it seriously. We just say that's probably the case. Yeah, I think you get three lines into the gospel. Like, oh, I know how this one finishes. Oh, this one again. Or yeah. like you're at mass and it's like the parable or the prodigal son. Right. Ah, oh, jeez. Loaves and fishes. Is this going to be 10 wicker baskets, baskets or 12? Yeah, and then you, like, you're already anticipating yeah. what the homily is going to be. You've already checked out. Like I've already mined the riches of what this is. Right. Um, but I think we need to dive back into these, especially for the people that are maturing within their faith. Um, don't overlook the power of these stories and what you can get from them. Um, much like Nauman, when he goes and visits the painting itself, mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead. He says that the way that the light hits it at different points of the day, like so many things are brought out and so many different complexities and different stories that he didn't even think about or movements or thoughts just by like looking at a painting throughout different times of the day. I think that story is, is similar within our own life. It'll hit us at different points in our life. Right. Absolutely. And then, and I think it echoes the approach we should be taking to scripture as well. I mean, when we say read scripture daily, we don't mean like read it just as if it's a story you've read a hundred times or you're just, you know, you don't want to get in that. You want to rest with it. You want to approach it in, in, in a way in which you are allowing it to speak to you in, in a new way. Cause each time you come back to the story, you're in a different place. You've grown in different ways. You've, you know, you're, you're, you're asking God to speak to you. Right. We literally call it the word of God too. Yeah. Like it, it is God's word. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us every time we pick that up to our experiences in that moment. Um, and to not kind of forget that. And even the prodigal son, I think, so now when basically he sees his painting for the first time in a friend's office and he's moved by it and he thinks about it for like three years. It was like something that really took up a lot of his spiritual life. Thinking about the different characters. If you remember, there's the father, obviously there's the son who asked for the inheritance and leaves. And then there's the elder son as well. That is kind of this self-righteous person. And he talks about, he's just trying to like figure out who he is. And at different points in his life, he identifies with different people within the story itself. It's kind of cool. The more he thinks about it, he realizes that he does have all these characters uh, within his own heart. And he says, basically within this, he says, whether you are the younger son, or this is something that one of his friends said to him because he thought about it so much. He said, whether you are the younger son or the elder son, you have to realize that you are called to become the father. So even in Nauman's own journey, he re he's wrestling, am I the younger son? Am I the older son? And one of his friends says, yes, you might be both of those things but you're called to be the father. So there is this kind of complexity of life where different things stick out to us at different times. And Nauman says, I hope and pray that you too will discover within yourselves, not only the lost children of God, but also the compassionate mother and father that God is. So he starts off this journey of trying to expose this story, of the prodigal son and this painting to us by saying like, I hope you experience every part of this, this story and you can apply it to different parts of your life and then in different callings within your life. He finally goes and sees the, sees the painting in person. So he thought about it for really like three years. And he finally goes to St. Petersburg where it's at. And he goes and it's this big painting, six feet by eight feet. And he explains kind of this experience of going and seeing it for the first time. I want to read what he says. He says, uh, and so there I was facing the painting that had been on my mind and in my heart for nearly three years. I was stunned by its majestic beauty, its size larger than life, its abundant reds, browns, and yellows, its shadowy recesses and bright foreground. But most of all, the light enveloped embrace of father and sons run by four mysterious bystanders. All this gripped me with an intensity far beyond my anticipation. There had been moments in which I had wondered whether the real painting might disappoint me. The opposite was true. Its grandeur and splendor made everything recede into the background and helped me completely captivated. Coming here was indeed a homecoming. I love that description. That's great. Something he ached for and wanted to see in person for so long. He was worried whether or not it was going to like live up to the hype. Yeah. Have you had that before? Oh, for sure. You're anticipating something so much. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's a, an encounter with a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Is this really going to be what I want? Or like in a retreat, like 
when you're sitting there for a long time, just wanting to finally get in front of the blessed sacrament, will Christ really show up? Will he really be there? Will he really move me? Like, I think everyone's experienced that of like, ah, it might not be there. It might not like move me or people. Yeah. Or people avoid even going or trying something because they don't think it's going to. I mean, I think I, I see that all the time now where students just like, I, I, you know, I don't know if I want to go because I, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like, or I don't know if it'll live up to my expectations, those types of things. So, um, gosh, what a, I just love that description. And it's just like, just his description of that. I mean, I can think of multiple different things in my own life that I've experienced such a similar feeling of homecoming, like, ah, it is good that I'm here and then I'm resting in this. Mm-hmm. Um, or people see that all the time, just with a group, like, like you said, hanging out with friends, it's just like good conversation just seems to be endless and, and there's no desire for it to end because you know this is where you're supposed to be in that moment. Yeah. And like the whole fact that like, the entire parable is about a homecoming. Yeah. Of both of the, the sons to the father. Mm-hmm. But there was something, uh, I was listening to some people kind of talking about this book. And they were talking about how God God really used art and beauty to speak something very deep into him. The journey took like a long time for him to realize. And he processed and he worked through it to finally realize what God was speaking to him. But this encounter of beauty, uh, his heart was open to receive the gift of that image. He was mesmerized by it. But it was speaking to something deeper within him. This is a quote from Pope Benedict. Ever heard of him? B-16? B-16. About kind of beauty. He says, beauty wounds us. It bypasses our intellect and our will. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Sorry, it's not an actual quote. No, it's okay. Beauty bypasses our intellect and our will, our knowledge and kind of our love and choice, and it pierces our soul and makes us long for eternity. It wounds us. It awakens us, or it awakens aches and ugliness within us. And beauty does this so that we can actually recognize what is good and true, and it can sift to the surface. When we encounter something that's beautiful, it pierces us because it shows a glimpse of eternity. And it kind of brings to the surface some of our own wounds, some of our own aches, some of our longings. And this, I thought that was such a cool kind of explanation of, and you can see Nauman going through that. When he was inspired by this art and it moved him in such a way, it revealed a lot of his own inner aching and a lot of his wounds because he was like, called to have this goodness seep, mm-hmm. seek up to the surface, seep yeah. to the surface. Yeah, seep seep to the surface. Seep. sift, yeah. seek, soup. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on that? I um, I don't know. I don't think I ever appreciated, I, I'm trying to think of like different field trips that I had gone on where we went to maybe the, the Art Institute of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we did an eighth grade trip or whatever. Yeah. I'm just thinking to myself, I remember walking through there like it was, I don't know, like a grocery store, just like going up and down the aisles, yeah. not stopping to rest in front of anything. And I think this, I've experienced these moments in front of, whether it was listening to certain songs or sitting before artwork or paintings or pictures and had that moment, it does feel like a piercing, like a, like your heart is struck with this. It almost, I don't know, for me, it's like a confusion. Like, what is this? This, mm-hmm. this reality, there's something else there that I'm being drawn to or out of myself. Um, an experience that is just so beautiful. And so often I think we miss opportunities for that because we don't take the time to rest in front of these things or to appreciate. And and that's something that's learned. So we're not expecting someone to um, pull up an image of this Rembrandt on their laptop. And if they've never not had any experience of this or never done it before, just being like struck and being like, oh gosh. Like Like you said, the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. Right, exactly. I was like, that's ugly. It's like brown and yellow and red and dark. Like, what am I going to get out of that? And they they look fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's not that highly realistic of like Renaissance time period, what you're expecting, but, but I, we, I don't think I even appreciate it until like we're in our thirties. Yeah. It took us this long. 
But now it's like um, Caravaggio, who has a similar kind of mm -hmm. approach with light versus darkness, as you'll see in the Rembrandts as well. Um, moments like that, I think it's Father Eric, too, who has some of those either um, around the church, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, goodness, like it's just striking. Which one? Who is the call of Matthew? Is that Rembrandt? That's Caravaggio. Is that Caravaggio, yeah. right? With the light that pierces through it, it's like in Matthew's yeah. eyes, and he's surrounded at this table of money collectors, of uh, tax, tax collectors. collectors. Yeah. That one just, that's one of those ones where, like, I think I read this book first, and then I started to get into Caravaggio, and then I saw that, and I was like, that is one of the ones that when you were describing that experience, and I love that B16 quote, yeah. um, that was the first one that I remember just being like, oh, yeah, I want to rest with this. That's one of those things I took to prayer, like, over and over and yeah. over again, and just sat with it. And it, and it was you're beautiful. experiencing something of beyond of like this eternal kind of yeah piercing through of just the normalcy of every day yeah it's, it's just so moving and i think like you said once you finally hear someone like nauman bring this to life or like i think finding like out what the artist was going through mm -hmm. makes it come to life more caravaggio has like a crazy life and I've, i would listen to a podcast once of a priest talking about caravaggio and it made caravaggio come more to life like his paintings what nauman goes through the only thing, the other thing I'll do today is talk about how I was moved about his description of Rembrandt and his life and what he was going through and how that related to the painting itself. We have a good friend. Her name's Kate Marin. Go check her out online. She's an artist and she did these sculptures for uh, Benedictine. And I remember going and seeing them in person and thinking they're really beautiful and actually not knowing that Kate did it. And when I found out Kate did it and I, I found out the explanation more of why she sculpted Jesus, Mary and Joseph in a way like the sculptures just came so much more to life. Yeah. Um, there's, there was so much more depth, but basically, um, this painting was one of his last works. It was a final statement of his tumultuous life is what Nauman says. Uh, it's a perception of his aged self, physical blindness, but yet a deep inner seeing are intimately, intimately connected. If you look at it, like the father is, he looks tired. Mm -hmm. He looks old. He looks worn. He looks like he's been crying out for decades for his son to come back. And has just been waiting there with his arms open. So it's this very old man who, who Nauman says that Rembrandt kind of painted himself as kind of in conflict with what he was. If you, like you said, the mm -hmm. paintings throughout his life, he did a self portrait of himself when he was 30, he painted himself and his wife in a brothel. He, he says that basically you look at him and he, he has lust in his eyes. He's drunk and dazed and pleased with himself. He has long curly hair and a velvet hat. He was a classic proud young man, convinced of his genius, brash, self-confident, spending everything, arrogant, sensual, and loved luxury, hungry for fame and admiration. And it's hard to see that in 30 years, he would be this man whose eyes would penetrate the hidden mysteries of life. Hmm. Uh, he went through so much uh, success, popularity, and wealth for Rembrandt, like many people, was followed by much grief, misfortune, and disaster. Yeah. He pretty much lost every kid he had. His son, he lost in 1635. His first daughter, Cornelia, in 1638. His second daughter, Cornelia, in 1640. His wife, uh, Saskia, in 1642. He was left with his nine-month-old Titus, started... Uh, having a relationship with his nurse, who then left and was sent to an insane uh, asylum. His second wife buried him a son, who then died, had another daughter, who was really the only one to survive his death. His popularity as a painter plummeted. He lost everything he had in 1656, eventually finds some peace, and then he lost his wife and his son, Titus. So he had seen just so much after his early fame and his early luxury and, and sensuous living. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see it in his in his paintings which yeah. i think is just so cool and he did actually an early painting of the prodigal son and he said that in that one there was a bunch of action the father was running out and the son was like leaping at his feet and i thought what which was so cool about this some people commenting on rembrandt said that all these things had this purifying effect on his life 
he began to regard man and nature with an even more penetrating eye, no longer distracted by the outward splendor or theatrical display. As I look at the prodigal son kneeling before his father and pressing his face against his chest, I cannot but see there the once so self-confident and venerated artist who has come to the painful realization that all the glory he had gathered for himself proved to be vain glory. Instead of the rich garments with which the youthful Rembrandt painted himself in the brothel, he now wears only a torn undertunic covering with his emaci covering his emaciated body, and the sandals in which he had walked so far have become worn and useless. Moving my eyes from the repentant son to the compassionate father, I see that the glittering light reflecting from golden chains, harnesses, helmets, candles, and hidden lamps has died out and been replaced by the inner light of old age. It is the movement from the glory that seduces one into an ever greater search for wealth and popularity to the glory that is hidden in the human soul and surpasses death. You see the two phases of Rembrandt's life, this young son and this old father, everything that's passing from this wealth and this glory and this shininess to this, this piece of the inner life. But what I was saying, sorry, no, do you have anything to add? What I liked about this is that it is like a stillness. Yes. It displays basically no external movement. It's utter stillness. The father's touching the son is an everlasting blessing, Nauman says. The son resting against his father's breast is an eternal peace. The movement of the father and the son speaks of something that passes not, but lasts forever. Outwardly almost motionless, but inwardly all the more moved. And I think when you gaze at that, you can see it. Like I didn't recognize just looking at the son's face. Um, it's like an infant just like resting on its mother. Yeah. And you just, it's just such a still depiction of the prodigal son. Right? Yeah. And just, and for me, it's your, that restfulness, that peace that's finally attained, the wisdom that comes with a life lived and knowing that this was what matters. This is where where it, the light is to be found. And so he's got the interplay of the light there, people in the foreground, but you've got like the light focused on this, this coming together of the son and the father and, and the good that rests there. And I just, that's such, such a beautiful image and something that you can, I mean, and that's just one layer of this yeah. multi-layered um, painting, but such a good moment there to reflect on. And what I want to get into uh, more kind of next time, I, cause I really want to do kind of a podcast on guilt because I don't think we have a healthy understanding of guilt within our society. And it makes a lot of people want to leave religion mm -hmm. because they don't like to feel guilt and they don't know what to do with that. And I think Nauman does so reveals so much truth in, in, in this beauty of this relationship or the, of us believing in the lies of the world and the lies that we're telling ourselves. Sorry, go ahead. And just the relationship of us to the father and the, what, what the mercy and love of the father in our, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, mm -hmm. right? What he desires for us. I think there's such a misunderstanding of how the father sees us in our sin. This is what mm -hmm. I think we're looking for here is this, yeah. this loving embrace that God desires for us and is always waiting there. And that's the peace in which we find is resting what we know is good. And in just the that calmness. The yeah. yeah. That understanding and the inner joy of that, that old wise man. Mm. I want to read one last thing. Mm. The immense joy in welcoming back the sun hides the immense sorrow that has gone before. The finding has the losing in the background. The returning has the leaving under its cloak. So he, he talks about the colors. And if you pull it up, you can see the sun has this yellow brown. It says the soft yellow brown of the sun's underclothes looks beautiful when seen in rich harmony with the red of the father's cloak. In the context of the compassionate embrace, our brokenness may appear beautiful, but our brokenness has no other beauty but the beauty that comes from the compassion that surrounds it. If you look at that sun in that painting by itself, it's ugly. Yeah. If you take that warm red out of it, like it only looks beautiful in the context of this loving embrace that's that's holding it. So I don't know. I thought that's that was so such cool. a cool yeah. image. But I want to get into some more of that yeah. next time.
anyway, a lot of that was kind of some background and to set up maybe a, a deeper kind of lesson. If you get anything from this, it's to look at stories with fresh eyes, to, to learn how to uh, appreciate beauty, how beauty can wound us to, to see, uh, open our eyes and our hearts to what God is calling us to longing, what we are longing for. Um, and just to, yeah, we're going to dive into some other things. Yeah. Uh, is that good? A little wrap up? Yeah. Just take the time, take the time to rest with things, to, um, to spend the time in contemplative prayer before art, before music, before scripture. I mean, it's, you reap the benefits. Yeah. Any shout outs? Uh, shout out to, uh, Teddy and Toby, Teddy and Toby. They went to the USA Mexico game. No way. Zero. It's awesome. Nice. Jealous. Yeah. Apparently it was a pretty great time. Nice. I don't really have any shout outs. You don't? No, you spent them all at the beginning. Pretty much. All right. For the kingdom? For the kingdom. That's sad. For the kingdom.